0: Section fifty-eight of Marion Fay by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Volume three, Chapter fifteen, dismissal B B. By return of post, Lord Hampstead received the following answer to his letter: "My dear Lord Hampstead, Mister Crocker's case is a very bad one." But the postmaster-general shall see your appeal, and his lordship will, I am sure, sympathize with your humanity, as do I also. I cannot take upon myself to say what his lordship will think it right to do, and it will be better, therefore, that you should abstain for the present from communicating with Mr. Crocker. I am your lordship's very faithful servant, Boreas Bodkin. Any excuse was sufficient to our Aeolus to save him from the horror of dismissing a man. He knew well that Crocker, as a public servant, was not worth his salt. Sir Boreas was blessed, or cursed, with a conscience, but the stings of his conscience, though they were painful, did not hurt him so much as those of his feelings. He had owned to himself on this occasion that Crocker must go. Crocker was, in every way, distasteful to him. He was not only untrustworthy and incapable, but audacious also, and occasionally impudent. He was a clerk of whom he had repeatedly said that it would be much better to pay him his salary and let him have perpetual leave of absence than keep him even if there were no salary to be paid. Now there had come a case on which it was agreed by all the office that the man must go. Destroy a bundle of official papers. Mr. Jerningham had been heard to declare that the law was in fault for not having provided that a man should be at once sent to Newgate for doing such a thing. The stupid old fool's letters weren't really worth anything, Sir Boreas had said, as though attempting to palliate the crime. Mr. Jerningham had only shaken his head. What else could he do? It was not for him to dispute any matter with Sir Boreas. But to his thinking the old gentleman's letters had become precious documents, priceless records, as soon as they had once been bound by the red tape of the government, and enveloped by the security of an official pigeon-hole. To stay away without leave, to be drunk, to be obstinately idle, to be impudent, were great official sins. But Mr. Jerningham was used to them, and knew that as they had often occurred before, so would they reoccur. Clerks are mortal men, and will be idle, will be reckless, will sometimes get into disreputable rows. A little added severity, Mr. Jerningham thought, would improve his branch of the department but knowing the nature of men, the nature especially of Sir Boreas, he could make excuses. Here, however, was a case in which no superior civil servant could entertain a doubt, and yet Sir Boreas palliated even this crime. Mr. Jerningham shook his head, and Sir Boreas shoved on one side, so as to avoid for a day the pain of thinking about them, the new bundle of papers which had already formed itself on the great Crocker case. If someone would tear up that, what a blessing it would be! In this way there was delay, during which Crocker was not allowed to show his face at the office, and during this delay Clara Demijohn became quite confirmed in her determination to throw over her engagement. Tribbledale, with his one hundred twenty pounds, would be much better than Crocker, with nothing. And then it was agreed, generally, in Paradise Row, that there was something romantic in Tribbledale's constancy. Tribbledale was in the row every day, or perhaps rather every night, seeking counsel from Mrs. Grimley, and comforting himself with hot gin and water. Mrs. Grimley was good-natured, and impartial to both the young men. She liked customers, and she liked marriages generally. "'If he ain't got no income, of course he's out of the running,' Mrs. Grimley said to Tribbledale, greatly comforting the young man's heart. "'You go in and win,' said Mrs. Grimley, indicating by that her opinion that the ardent suitor would probably be successful if he urged his love at the present moment. Strike while the iron is hot, she said, alluding probably to the heat to which Clara's anger would be warmed by the feeling that the other lover had lost his situation just when he was most bound to be careful in maintaining it. Tribbledale went in and pleaded his case. It is probable that just at this time Clara herself was made acquainted with Tribbledale's frequent visits to the Duchess, and though she may not have been pleased with the special rendezvous selected, she was gratified by the devotion shown. When Mrs. Grimley advised Tribbledale to go in and win, she was perhaps in Clara's confidence. When a girl has told all her friends that she is going to be married, and has already expended a considerable portion of the sum of money allowed for her wedding garments, she cannot sink back into the simple position of an unengaged young woman without pangs of conscience and qualms of remorse Paradise Row knew that her young man was to be dismissed from his office and condoled with her frequently and most unpleasantly Mrs. Duffer was so unbearable in the matter that the two ladies had quarrelled dreadfully Clara from the first moment of her engagement with Crocker had been proud of the second string to her bow and now perceived that the time had come in which it might be conveniently used it was near eleven when tribbledale knocked at the door of number ten but nevertheless clara was up as was also the servant girl who opened the door for the sake of discretion oh daniel what hours you do keep said clara when the young gentleman was shown into the parlour what on earth brings you here at such a time as this? Tribbledale was never slow to declare that he was brought thither by the overwhelming ardour of his passion. His love for Clara was so old a story, and had been told so often, that the repeating of it required no circumlocution. Had he chanced to meet her in the high street on a Sunday morning, he would have begun with it at once. Clara? he said, will you have me? I know that that other scoundrel is a ruined man. Oh, Daniel, you shouldn't hit those as are down. Hasn't he been hitting me all the time that I was down? Hasn't he triumphed? Haven't you been in his arms? Laws no. And wasn't that hitting me when I was down, do you think? It never did you any harm. Oh, Clara, if you knew the nature of my love, you'd understand the harm. Every time he has pressed your lips, I have heard it, though I was in King's Head Court all the time. That must be a crammer, Daniel. I did, not with the ears of my head, but with the fibres of my breast. Oh, ah, but, Daniel, you and Sam used to be such friends at the first go-off. Go-off of what? when he first took to coming after me. You remember the tea-party when Marion Fay was here? I tried it on just then, I did. I thought that maybe I might come not to care about it so much. I'm sure you acted it very well. And I thought that perhaps it might be the best way of touching that cold heart of yours. Cold? I don't know as my heart is colder than anybody else's heart. WOULD THAT YOU WOULD MAKE IT WARM ONCE MORE FOR ME. Poor Sam, said Clara, putting her handkerchief up to her eyes. Why is he any poorer than me? I was first. At any rate, I was before him. I don't know anything about firsts or last, said Clara, as the ghosts of various banquos flitted before her eyes. And as for him, what right has he to think of any girl? He's a poor, mean creature without the means of getting so much as a bed for a wife to lie on. He used to talk so proud of Her Majesty's civil service. Her Majesty's civil service has sent him away packing. Not yet, Daniel. They have. I've made it my business to find out, and Sir Boreas Bodkin has written the order to-day. Dismissal, B. I know those who have seen the very words written in the punishment book of the post-office. Poor Sam! Destroying papers of the utmost importance about Her Majesty's mail service. What else was he to expect? And now he's penniless. A hundred and twenty isn't so very much, Daniel. Mr. Fay was saying only the other day that if I was married and settled, they'd make it better for me. You're too fond of the Duchess, Daniel. No, Clara, no, I deny that. You ask Mrs. Grimley why it is I come to the Duchess so often. It isn't for anything that I take there. Oh, I didn't know. Young men, when they frequent those places, generally do take something. If I had a little home of my own with the girl I love on the other side of the fireplace, and perhaps a baby in her arms. Tribbledale, as he said this, looked at her with all his eyes. Laws, Daniel, what things you do say?' "'I should never go then to any Duchess or any Marquis of Granby or to any Angel.' These were the public-houses so named, all standing thick together in the neighbourhood of Paradise Row i should not want to go anywhere then except where that young woman and that baby were to be found daniel you always was fine at poetry try me if it isn't real prose the proof of the pudding's in the eating you come and try by this time clara was in his arms and the re-engagement was as good as made crocker was no doubt dismissed or if not dismissed had shown himself to be unworthy what could be expected of a husband who could tear up a bundle of her majesty's mail papers and then daniel tribbledale had exhibited a romantic constancy which certainly deserved to be rewarded clara understood that the gin and water had been consumed night after night for her sake and there were the lodgings and the clock and the harmonium ready for the occasion i suppose it had better be so daniel as you wish it so much wish it i have always wished it i wouldn't change places now with mr pogson himself he married his third wife three years ago i mean in regard to the whole box and dice of it i'd rather have my clara with a hundred twenty pounds than be pogson and little bird with all the profits this gratifying assurance was rewarded and then considerably after midnight the triumphant lover took his leave early on the following afternoon crocker was in paradise row he had been again with lord hampstead and had succeeded in worming out of the good-natured nobleman something of the information contained in the letter from Sir Boreas. The matter was to be left to the postmaster-general. Now, there was an idea in the office that when a case was left to his lordship, his lordship never proceeded to extremities. Kings are bound to pardon if they allow themselves to be personally concerned as to punishment. There was something of the same feeling in regard to official discipline. As a fact, the letter from Sir Boreas had been altogether false. He had known, poor man, that he must at last take the duty of deciding upon himself, and had used the name of the great chief simply as a mode of escape for the moment. But Crocker had felt that the mere statement indicated pardon. The very delay indicated pardon relying upon these indications he went to paradise row dressed in his best frock-coat with gloves in his hand to declare to his love that the lodgings need not be abandoned and that the clock and harmonium might be preserved but you have been dismissed said clara never never it has been written in the book dismissal b b i know the eyes that have seen it that's not the way they do it at all, said Crocker, who was altogether confused. It has been written in the book, Sam, and I know that they never go back from that. Who wrote it? Nothing has been written. There isn't a book. Not at least like that. Tribbledale has invented it. Oh, Sam, why did you tear those papers? Her Majesty's mail papers. What else was there to expect? dismissal b b why did you do it and you engaged to a young woman no don't come nigh to me How was a young woman to go and get herself married to a young man and he with nothing to support her it isn't to be thought of when i heard those words dismissal b b i thought my very heart would sink within me it's nothing of the kind said crocker What's nothing of the kind? I ain't dismissed at all. Oh, Sam, how dare you? I tell you I ain't. He's written a letter to Lord Hampstead, who has always been my friend. Hampstead wasn't going to see me treated after that fashion. Hampstead wrote, and then Aeolus wrote. That's Sir Boreas. And I've seen the letter. That is, Hampstead told me what there is in it and i ain't to be dismissed at all when i heard the good news the first thing i did was to come as fast as my legs would carry me and tell the girl of my heart clara did not quite believe him but then neither had she quite believed tribbledale when he had announced the dismissal with a terrible corroboration of the great man's initials but the crime committed seemed to her to be so great that she could not understand that Crocker should be allowed to remain after the perpetration of it. Crocker's salary was a hundred and fifty pounds, and, balancing the two young men together, as she had often done, though she liked the poetry of Tribbledale, she did on the whole prefer the swagger and audacity of Crocker, her Majesty's civil service, too, had its charms for her. The post-office was altogether superior to Pogson and Little Bird's. Pogson and Little Bird's hours were nine to five. Those of Her Majesty's service were much more genteel—ten, namely, to four. But what might not a man do who had shown the nature of his disposition by tearing up official papers? And then, though the accidents of the occasion had enveloped her in difficulties on both sides, it seemed to her that, at the present moment, the lesser difficulties would be encountered by adhering to Tribbledale. She could excuse herself with Crocker. Paradise Row had already declared that the match with Crocker must be broken off. Crocker had indeed been told that the match was to be broken off when tribbledale had come to her overnight she had felt herself to be a free woman when she had given way to the voice of the charmer when she had sunk into his arms softened by that domestic picture which he had painted no pricks of conscience had disturbed her happiness whether the dismissal b b had or had not yet been written it was sure to come she was as free to wed another as was venice when her doge was disposed she could throw herself back upon the iniquity of the torn papers were crocker to complain but should she now return to her crocker how could she excuse herself with tribbledale it is all over between you and me sam she said with her handkerchief up to her eyes all over why should it be all over he was told it was all over. That was when all the row said that I was to be dismissed. There was something in it, then, though perhaps a girl might have waited till a fellow had got up upon his legs again. Waiting ain't so pleasant, Mr. Crocker, when a girl has to look after herself. But I ain't dismissed at all, and there needn't be any waiting. I thought that you would be suffering as well as me. And so I came right away to you, all at once. So I have suffered, Sam. No one knows what I have suffered. But it'll all come right now. Clara shook her head. You don't mean that Tribbledale's been and talked you over already. I knew Tribbledale before ever I saw you, Sam. How often have I heard you call him a poor mean skunk. Never, Crocker, never. Such a word never passed my lips. Something very like it, then. I may have said he wanted spirit. I may have said so, though I disremember it. But if I did, what of that? You despised him? No, Crocker. What I despise is a man as goes and tears up Her Majesty's mail-papers tribbledale never tore up anything at pogson and little bird's except what was to be tore tribbledale was never turned out for nigh a fortnight so that he couldn't go and show his face in king's head court tribbledale never made himself hated by everybody that unknown abominable word which crocker had put into her mouth had roused all the woman within her so that she was enabled to fight her battle with a courage which would not have come to her aid had he been more prudent. Who hates me? Mr. Jerningham does, and Roden, and Sir Boreas, and Bobbin. She had learned all their names. How can they help hating a man that tears up the mail-papers? And I hate you. Clara! I do what business had you to say I used that nasty word? I never do use them words. I wouldn't even so much as look at a man who'd demean himself to put such words as them into my mouth. So I tell you what it is, Mr. Crocker. You may just go away. I am going to become Daniel Tribbledale's wife, and it isn't becoming in you to stand there talking to a young woman that is engaged to another young man and this is to be the end of it if you please mr crocker well if ever you feel inclined to speak your mind to another young woman and you carry it as far as we did and you wishes to hold on to her don't you go and tear her majesty's mail-papers and when she tells you a bit of her mind as i did just now don't you go and put nasty words into her mouth now if you please you may just as well send over that clock and that harmonium to daniel tribbledale esq king's head court great broad street so saying she left him and congratulated herself on having terminated the interview without much unpleasantness crocker as he shook the dust off his feet upon leaving paradise row began to ask himself whether he might not upon the whole congratulate himself as to the end to which that piece of business had been brought when he had first resolved to offer his hand to the young lady he had certainly imagined that that hand would not be empty clara was no doubt a fine girl but not quite so young as she once was and she had a temper of her own Matrimony, too, was often followed by many troubles. Paradise Row would, no doubt, utter jeers, but he need not go there to hear them. He was not quite sure but that the tearing of the papers would, in the long run, be beneficial to him. End of section fifty eight. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.